The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again for another show on Winning Ponies. Appreciate you listening. Our audience has been growing week by week, and we definitely appreciate it. We also appreciate you tuning in using some of the great products to get your winners done. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you some winners today, going all the way out about as far as I can to Portland Meadows uh, to reach out a guy I used to work with by the name of Jason Beam. Jason has uh, his own radio show, and he's the track announcer out there at Portland Meadows, but he follows the sport from coast to coast, so he's going to be able to uh, uh, give us uh, the inside skinny on the major races uh, that we've got uh, this week. And there are some awful big ones, sad to say there's some awful short fields. Uh, our first guest will be Vic Zast. Uh, Vic Zast, uh, if you uh, go to Saratoga, you'll know that uh, he's got, he, the guy that wrote the book on the Travers. As a matter of fact, he wrote the book called The Travers. But anyhow, with uh, Saratoga kicking up, I don't know if you've got a copy of the Thoroughbred Times this week. Great story in there uh, about Vic and his uh, generations of, of love of Saratoga. As a matter of fact, his grandson graces the cover. And uh, he really paints a pretty picture And with the spa opening up this week. That's a picture that you're going to want to hear about. Well, it's with a heavy heart that I do this uh, show this week uh, because uh, one of my best friends and someone I can certainly call a mentor passed away this week in one Tony Leonard. Uh, his real name was Leonard Anthony Bergantino, but you know him as Tony Leonard. If for anywhere over the last 40 years you've looked at any photographs of thoroughbreds in all the major publications, uh, the best of the best were, were taken by Tony. And uh, to- Tony was uh, taken away uh, from us earlier this week. Uh, he was holding his wife Adele's hand at the time. And uh, will we'll be sorely missed by those in not only the photography community, but in, in the racing community. Uh, I'm sure there's many listeners out there that have that beautiful picture of Secretariat stepping out into the paddock as he went over to the Belmont Stakes before winning the Triple Crown. And uh, Tony took that shot, and his wife, before the days of Photoshop, uh, did the airbrush brushing. It's one of the most iconic photos of Secretariat, along with uh, his start in the uh, Preakness Stakes, where Tony got him with all four legs off the ground. Absolutely looks like he's flying. But uh, every major farm in Kentucky that used Tony as their photographer. The interesting thing is he started out as an entertainer. He's born in Cincinnati. Uh, he traveled the world. Uh, Bob Hope's agent said, look, you can't go with Leonard Anthony Bergantino. That's just way too many words. 
So he cut them back to Tony Leonard. And finally they settled in in Lexington and got to meet some of the top people in Lexington and slowly but surely honed the craft of confirmation photography. Without a doubt, he's compared to, uh, as Ansel Adams uh, shoots nature, Tony shoots horses. Uh, better than his photography was his personality, and he'll, he'll be sorely missed. Uh, if you're in the Lexington area or if you had any contact with Tony, uh, information about his services uh, is posted uh, on both uh, the Blood Horse, the Times, and the Daily Racing Forum. Of course, he has his own Facebook page. It's called Support Tony Leonard and the Protection of His Legacy. So one of the, one of the greats in the game, he never rode a horse, he never trained a horse, but the man sure could take a picture. Tony Leonard uh, will be put to rest on Saturday. Well, we had two meets uh, close out this week, and uh, we'll see who took the top spots. At, at Belmont Park, well, it was Dick Dutrow. He won his fourth Belmont spring-summer training title. This year he scored 27 times. Behind him with 22 was Christopher Clement, and behind the top two were Rudy Rodriguez, Chad Brown, and David Jacobson. Uh, Ramon Dominguez won his third straight Belmont riding title with 70 winners, and behind him was Javier Castellano, who rode three winners on Sunday. He finished up with 60. Behind them was... Jose Lescano and Rosie Napravnik with Junior Alvarado, just one win behind her. Uh, good news, uh, Jackie Jose Ortiz, who went down on the final day at Belmont, is scheduled to uh, leave the hospital. They're not sure when he'll be able to come back, but luckily the CT scans and the x-rays were negative, so uh, hopefully he will be back in the saddle soon. Uh, he had ridden uh, 44 winners from 350 starters. Uh, the... Uh, Saratoga, as if it's uh, not sweet enough to get up there. Well, all you people that can't, that like to bet through simulcasting, every pick four, every Saturday, I should say every the late pick four on every Saturday, uh, will have a nice little pot in it, a half a million dollars. And on Saturday, August 21st, Traverse Stakes Day, the guarantee for the pick four will rise to one million dollars. So that's what's been happening in New York and will happen in New York. Uh, on the on the West Coast, well, no big surprise here. It was Bob Baffert easily won his second spring-summer training title at what we now call Betfair Hollywood Park, which may just be the last meet at Hollywood Park with the construction that's going on around there. And the gentleman I got to know when he was an apprentice rider at Little Old River Downs, Rafael Bayorano was the dominant rider of that 50-day holiday meet that ended up on July 15th. Of course, the action now moves to Del Mar. Uh, the Hall of Famer, Bob Baffert, finished with 35 wins, eight more than John Sadler. And how about this? Baffert had a season-high 11 stakes victories. He has now captured five training titles. And Bayerano, he just went away with it. Uh, 74 wins, 25 more than Joe Talamo. And uh, Bayerano even uh, topped... Uh, Bob Baffert, he ended up with 13 stakes victories. And, of course, the dude, game on dude, uh, was the anonymous selection as horse of the meat in the media poll. Good news also on closing day was uh, the fact that Mike Mitchell, who we reported over the last couple of weeks, uh, had brain surgery and tumor removed. He actually made his first appearance at the races, and while he was there, well, his heavily favored Dahmer under his future son-in-law, Julian Le Peru, uh, won the Grade 3 Sunset Handicap 
uh, in following weeks, uh, Mike's going to uh, stay in the L.A. area. Uh, he's got further medical treatment for the tumor, including radiation and chemotherapy. He's the all-time leading trainer at Belmar. He's going to have a limited presence, but he feels good about the people he's got going uh, underneath him, his assistant, uh, uh, Phil D'Amato, and his son-in-law, Craig Rosenfeld. Well, this is going to be a very interesting Haskell. We, we, now we know who's not going to show up. We're going to find out who does show up. It looks like Shackelford uh, is going to stay at the shorter distances. Now, this will be very interesting to see what happens now. Uh, Shackelford is going to be kept at races a mile or shorter, and uh, so he's not even going to run in the Whitney Handicap. That's at a mile and an eighth. Um, the forego and Kelso seem to be the most logical path to take, uh, but, of course, with Dale Romans, he doesn't always do the most logical thing. Anything could happen. Uh, he said that uh, it just it took Shackelford longer than usual to recover from his hard-fought victory over Caleb's posse in the grade one that mile at Belmont. And uh, it's only been in the last couple of weeks where he's really kind of got his shine back. Now, also in the Romans uh, stable, of course, we have Dullahan. And Dullahan, well, looks like he might try the dirt one more time. He's yet to be successful on it, though the races he's been in were very, very big races. Uh, but he won the Bluegrass on Synthetic, finished third on the dirt in the Derby, skipped the Preakness. He ran a disappointing seventh in the Belmont. So uh, Romans and Jerry Crawford, who's been on Winning Ponies before, they want to give him one more try on the dirt, and they're going to give him one last chance in the Haskell now. If he runs big, that's great. If not, well, they're going to take another route. Uh, you know, what Romans is, is, is thinking is that if he can win a big race on the dirt, it, it'll enhance his chance as a stallion later down the road uh, rather than one that's uh, strictly considered a, a turf or a synthetic horse, so that didn't hurt Kitten's joy at all, who's been an excellent stallion, even though he was basically a grass horse. So uh, we, we've got uh, we've got uh, possibly Doolahan in. we got Shackleford out. We've got Bodemeister out. He came up with a temperature, and it's going to set him back in his training that it looks like he is not going to be able to make the hassle. The people at Monmouth have to be going crazy. But uh, so what's happened now is it's a great uh, game of musical horses. Uh, what we're seeing right now, is it looks like Hanson, who was planning on going to the West Virginia Derby, will now be going to the Haskell. But, surprise, surprise, Mike Maker, you're not the only one that was thinking in that direction. Baffert might send the Belmont Stakes runner-up painter, who ran a huge horse in the Belmont, uh, rather than uh, go into Jim Dandy. And don't forget, we got Wood Memorial winner Gemologist. Now, he was being pointed to the Jim Dandy, but... Winstar bought an interest in Bodemeister, so obviously they wanted to keep these two horses away from one another, but now the door is open that Fletcher may just send Gemologist onto the Haskell, and don't forget a horse by the name of Alpha, uh, who was only beaten on neck by Gemologist in the wood. Uh, he was training towards the Jim Dandy, and the trainer, Kieran McLaughlin, said that uh, with Bodemeister out, Alpha might be in, so it'll be very interesting to see who shows up. Uh, in the older uh, ranks, it looks like Caleb's posse has hung up his shoes. Uh, Caleb's posse is going to stand stud at Three Chimneys Farm. Uh, they discovered a non-displaced fragment in his left knee after the Met Mile. Uh, recent radiographs uh, reveal that surgery would mean that he'd not return to the racetrack this year. And he's proven so much. His brilliance on the track is, is says what it needs to say. Uh, his stud fee will be announced uh, later this fall. Uh, Somebody whose uh, future could be in the wings. Uh, 
is Robbie Alvarado. Uh, as we were closing the show last week, uh, it looked like uh, a six-person Jefferson District Court in Kentucky uh, convinced, uh, uh, convicted Alvarado of one misdemeanor count of assault. Um, the jury fined Alvarado 500 for the assault, which occurred five days before the year, uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, you may remember that uh, he was arrested just before the derby and uh, missed some big mounts uh, uh, for, for assaulting, uh, I believe it was Willie Martinez's uh, niece. And uh, the, the thing is, the question is, they're not sure what's going to happen because uh, Alvarado has to face a hearing officer next week to determine whether his latest arrest violated the terms of an agreement he reached with the state law enforcement uh, related to the arrest when he assaulted his wife, uh, a year ago, his ex-wife now. So uh, we'll see what happens to Robbie. It's uh, he, he moved his tack to Chicago. It'll be very interesting to see exactly what happens. Well, let's take a quick review of some of the major races uh, we looked at and big horses we looked at last week. Grace Hall did not disappoint in the Delaware Oaks, $400,000. Uh, she just pretty much toyed with the field. And uh, when... Uh, Javier Castellano pressed the button. She just took off as the heavy favorite. Only paid two dollars and eighty cents. Romped her way by three and three quarters lengths. So Grace Hall, very tough in the three-year-old filly ranks. Then at Belmont Park, it was the Man Award, a mile and three eighths, and it was Point of Entry uh, who went off uh, the second favorite with Jose Lescano in the saddle. Getting the job done. Meanwhile, Treasure Beach, who was odds on in that race, just did not fire. Shug McGahee says that uh, point of entry would most likely be pointed to the grade one sword dancer at Saratoga on the 18th. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you had a chance to see the Greenwood Cup at Parks Racetrack, uh, you got to see a track record, and you got to see a horse that Probably will be in the Breeders' Cup. It was a win and you're in race. Dick Dutrow uh, uh, trained the horse. Uh, he just wanted him to win. He wanted to see if he could get the distance. Uh, it was his third consecutive stake. So uh, look for redeemed after setting a track record at Parks to down the road and up in the Breeders' Cup. Again, we had a slew of big races at Arlington Park. Uh, it was Arlington Millions Preview Day. We'll look at some of the, the, the top ones. Uh, Cosetti took home uh, the American Derby. Uh, just showed a lot of heart by squeezing through. Uh, this is a son of Cozine, so you know he's going to like the turf. That race was at a mile and three-sixteenths on the turf. Uh, and for three-year-olds, of course, because it was a derby. And then uh, we'll move on to some of the other uh, major races uh, up at Arlington. Uh, Rahi Strada took the Arlington Handicap pretty much from flag fall to that's all. Did it on the front end. Uh, he won this race two years ago, back in uh, 2010. Uh, they decided to change tactics. Usually he comes from off the, 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 the pace, and uh, instead they put him on the front end, and obviously it paid off. So Rahi Strada looking strong up there in Chicago. And then the, uh, the Stars and Stripes upset time, paying $84. It was number 11. I owe you big time who decided to go to the front and increased at every call. Uh, it was six on top and held off Musketeer and Sun Tracer down the lane. Again, these uh, those races uh, all happening up in Arlington. Quick look at some big 
is out on the West Coast, the Hollywood Juvenile Championship. It was John Sadler who finished the meet very strongly, horse by the name of Sharer Magic. A two-year-old gelding by Don Orell Court uh, came home on top at odds of three to one. Pretty easy winner, came from off the pace, uh, led and got through, and uh, running second was Carson's Crown, and third, just call me Al. And uh, for the ladies out at Hollywood Park, going six furlongs in the land of Lucy, it was executive privilege, no surprise here, paid $2.60 to win with Rafael Bayarano in the saddle. Another case of the killer bees, executive privilege is trained by Bob Baffert. So that's a quick look at the races across the country last week and some national news. And up next, we are going to talk to Victor Zast, the man who lives and breathes Saratoga. We'll be right back on Winning Phone. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And there What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you want to talk about the East Coast sports scene, particularly from the Southeast, make sure you tune in to the Jeff Owen Show every Tuesday. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there, but host Jeff Owens and co-host Tasha Humphrey know the inside and out of the Georgia College sports world, and they were born there, raised there, and still live the scene. We'll talk about every sport imaginable. Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and what is the is uh, is Vic Zast, and uh, I, I've known Vic probably longer than he knows me. Um, I go back to a thing called the Jim Beam Stakes that I believe was run at Latonia at the time, and Vic, being a sporting fan, I believe was associated with Jim Beam and talked those people into saying, hey, this is something we got to get involved in. This is a race that's going to launch horses into the Kentucky Derby, and it's going to have our name on it, and I'll tell you what, it became so popular that to this day, even though that race has probably had about six different names, people still say, hey, are you going to the beam? 
<laughs> Big Zass, are you with us? Hey, John. Uh, is that a true story or not? Well, it is a true story, and uh, the Jim Beam ran as the Jim Beam for 17 years, quite a long time. Only one Kentucky Derby winner came out of it. That was a little, uh, little E.T., but uh, there were a lot of horses that did pretty well. For a stretch there, it was uh, probably the most successful prep race going. The reason well, we... You know- as long as they kept the name Spiral on it, you know, it was the Jim Beam Spiral, you know, Animal Kingdom came out of that race. Yeah, that's true. You know, they, uh, uh, the reason we, we actually chose that race is there were two other racetracks in the state of Kentucky that were bigger than Latonia in those days. And uh, we decided that it would be better for us to be a big fish in a small pond. And the, the strategy certainly worked because the, uh, the town of Covington and the supporting area of Cincinnati, Ohio, really got behind the race and made it not only a, a sporting event but a social event. And it, it, was a great, it was a great fun time for the years that it lasted. It really was, and uh, I thought for a minute there they were going to name it the uh, the Smiley Adams Stakes. I think he won the first three or four editions, but I digress. We're not here to talk about racing in Kentucky. We're here to talk about racing in upstate New York. Uh, another thing we have in common, we're both upstate New Yorkers, which pretty much if you're any kind of horse lover, you know that in the old days when August rolled around, uh, you pretty much had one destination, at least on the weekends, and that was to go up, go up to Saratoga. Um, how, what was your first introduction to the spa? Well, I migrated here after, uh, after a, uh, a tutelage uh, at Fort Erie Racetrack across the river from Buffalo, New York. Uh, that's where I started, broke my maiden. Uh, it was at Fort Erie, which is now a track that's threatened to be closed next year. Um, uh, I then started going a little further north to Woodbine and started following racing there. And then uh, I moved east to go to college at Siena College in Loudonville, which is a suburb of Albany. And obviously being so close to the racetrack, Saratoga became my new center of influence. I've been going to Saratoga Racecourse now for 47 years in a row. I haven't missed a summer at Saratoga in 47 years. Well, I've, I've had some other guests uh, on the show, including last year I had Andy Sterling on the show. And believe it or not, I knew little Andy when he really was little Andy. I don't know. Do you remember him back from those days when he'd run around the paddock with that derby on? Yeah, you know, I always, I always think of when I see Andy Sterling why he does it, why he never kept the moniker little Andy because... At least then he'd have something that people would know him by, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he gave it up, and now he's just Andy Serling, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Harvey Pack called him Little Andy all the way up. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, all but, the way to the end. Well, you, mean, you, you talk about living the dream, and I guess you're included in this. Uh, for, for somebody that, that uh, cut, cut their teeth on Saratoga, and, and now uh, has a, a job inside the sport. I mean, Andy's got to be just in heaven, and you've been pretty darn active yourself. Well, why don't you tell people about uh, your the, the book that you came out with, obviously a labor of love. Well, you know, I've uh, been coming up here for years, and uh, from time to time I collected these posters, and you see them everywhere around town. They're very distinctive. They're based on uh, British railway art. 
and they commemorate uh, the Traverse Stakes. And, I, and the idea came to me one day, and I said, you know, I wonder if anyone's ever collected all these posters and and put a book in them. And uh, I said, well, you know, maybe that's what I'll do. So I contacted the uh, the artist, uh, a fellow by the name of Greg Montgomery, and he agreed to uh, collaborate on a book. And the idea was that he would uh, include all the posters and do a brief description of how he uh, conceived the poster art and how he came about creating the art itself uh, in his text portion. And I would give a history in recollection form of the race that each poster commemorated. So at the time, he had uh, 25 posters, and the book became uh, the history and art of 25 post, uh, 25 Travers. Uh, Greg Montgomery's series of posters is the oldest continuing series of sporting art in the world for any event ever. Uh, really? So, More than the Kentucky Derby? Uh, well, by one artist. You know, the Kentucky Derby's had different posters. Okay, okay. Uh, but one artist has never done as many uh, pieces of art for one sporting event as has uh, Greg Montgomery for the Travers Stake. The, the, the book was, the book was uh, uh, received very well. It was named to a top ten books of the year list, and it was also a finalist for uh, the Dr. Tony Ryan Award uh, given out by the Thoroughbred Times uh, magazine. So I had a great run with that. It was the only book I've ever written, but I'm not a dead man, so I can keep going and write another one someday. Hey, John? Well, absolutely you can, and uh, I see you writing, uh, you know, popping up uh, all over the place. Tell people where more often than not they can see articles written by Vic Sass. Well, beginning tomorrow... Uh, and every racing day at Saratoga, I write the Saratoga diary for bloodhorse.com. I've written the diary for six years now, and it's a mix of uh, horse racing news as well as gossip and a little explanation of where to go around town and what to see and what's happening. And the idea is basically if you can't be here, you can be here in spirit, and you can feel like you're here by reading Vic Zass, Saratoga Diary, at bloodhorse.com. That is a great concept. Well, uh, this week you were featured in the Blood Horse's uh, direct competition of the Thoroughbred Times. Uh, it, it was written by you, uh, which, by the way, you're a very eloquent writer, but it kind of states not only your connection with Saratoga, but how you're trying to keep the connection going through three generations. Well, you know, if anyone uh, uh, anyone who's listening can can appreciate the fact that horse racing is not an easy game to learn, uh, which has always been one of the problems of marketing. It takes a long time for people to catch on and understand the language, learn how to read the form, and uh, become active in a meaningful way. And it usually takes a mentor. And I learned from my my uncle Stan, who taught me, and I taught my son John, and he taught his uh, son, my grandson Charlie, who's now three years old, how to enjoy the races. And I thought this would make a great uh, long-form piece. It's a kind of autobiographical. It talks about Saratoga through the years, how I remember them, how John learned about Saratoga, and now how Charlie is learning about Saratoga. 
And um, the Thoroughbred Times recently underwent a uh, change in its editorial format whereby they realized the Internet is where news occurs, is reported. It's, it's all immediate. And to try to produce a magazine that, uh, that, that delivers the news is going to be a losing battle for the horse racing industry. However, if you create a magazine that, that gives perspective and uh, uh, enables writers to provide commentary, uh, you're going to have a much better chance. So they're, they're kind of a pioneer in this area, and uh, I pitched them on this story. They loved it, and uh, consequently it became the cover story. It's on the newsstands now. But you can also go online and look up Thoroughbred Times, and the name of the article is like father, like son, like grandson. Well, as a matter of fact, what you're just stating is so true. Uh, we've had uh, Greg Charcutian, who won the Eclipse Award last year for Thoroughbred Media, and that's exactly what he's doing is producing uh, the new series, It's My Job, uh, but he's also uh, produced, he got the award for media last year, so uh, you're, you're absolutely spot on when you say that uh, the Thoroughbred Times has uh, got a couple jumps out of the gate in, in embracing the media along with their printed word. Well, you know, uh, I think one of the realizations that's coming to the thoroughbred sport now is that you, we've got to figure out a way to get asses in the seats again. Uh, people watching racing is the lifeblood of the sport. Everyone fell in love with the technology and what it could do to boost handle, and the left-brained analysis of the sport says, well, don't worry about whether people actually see it, they can catch it online or they can go to an off-track betting parlor or watch it on TV and bet remotely. But that's not entirely true. You really have to have people who are actively involved in order to have the kind of power you need to be effective with legislation and with uh, uh, media. And it's got to be a popular sport. It just can't be a betting game. It's hard for people who love to gamble to understand that, but that's really the case. Yes, absolutely not. One aspect of the the social network that I think might be helping in this direction a little bit is is Facebook. I know most tracks now have a Facebook page. Uh, The track I work with has a web page, but that's a little more official, uh, whereas uh, the Facebook, it seems like the fans are a little more interactive, you can be a little more light and lively in how you give your information out. But, but you're absolutely right, Vic. I mean, nobody falls in love with the sport. Go into an OTB uh, in yeah. Buffalo, New York. You know, you've got it. You've got to get there. You've got to smell it. You've got to see it. You've got to hear it. And what, what's great is that it's a, it's a social sport. It's not like a casino where, where you're, stand, you're staring myopically at a machine, you know, hoping the right numbers come up. But this is actually a, a cerebral sport that you make the decision. And, John, uh, what Facebook does and what Twitter does and what social media does is it humanizes the sport. It enables newcomers and outsiders to look at uh, uh, the sport in terms of people like them. And whenever you're able to do that, uh, you're more likely to create a sale. People have to see a product that they interpret as someone like me. Well, absolutely. You know, it kind of puts a face on it, and also you can just you you can put something out there and say, "Hey, guys, I'm I'm going to uh, River Downs for the afternoon. Who wants to join me at Dollar Beer Dollar Dogs?" And you never know who's going to show up. 
Yeah, well, so so much of so much of falling in love with something is circumstance. You know, meeting uh, the right girl at the right place uh, on the right style at night <laughs> results in a lot of good things, and it's the same with the sport. You go you you go to the racetrack, something good happens to you. You have a nice time and. You go again and you fall in love with it over time. You know, I, one of the things I mentioned in the article was, uh, this Thoroughbred Times article I wrote is that you, you, you can't unlock the key to marketing success in the sport through a demographic study because people can be of the same educational background, have the same amount of money, uh, live in the same zip tile, but yet have no interest in horse racing. Uh, while another guy in the same zip tile, in the same uh, demographic, uh, loves horse racing. It's all psychographic. There's something Absolutely. about the attraction to risk and the idea of being in a social environment with others who like the same thing that turns us horse lovers, horse racing lovers, onto the sport, but doesn't turn other people onto the sport. Well, all I know is uh, it, it, you know this and I know this, and hopefully my kids do is. Kind of once it gets in your blood, it's hard to get out. So uh, let's make it, uh, you know, your job as as a writer. And uh, I know that you are uh, actively involved with with the turf writers and broadcasters of America. Uh, I I was a former president of the Turf Publicists of America. That we just got to keep getting the word out there that this is a great game. You got to come and see it and judge for yourself. I, I agree, John. And you know. As a as a footnote to that remark, I, I think what's important too is that we don't forget the importance of truth. And the idea is that you, you just don't promote something on the basis of falsehood. You you report something on the basis of the way it is. And I think there's enough good in this sport that will out uh, outlast and out uh, shine the bad. Um, but also by by covering it all, you enable people to make their own judgments on whether or not they want to come aboard. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better, and a great way to kind of wind this up. I see my producer Matt Widener is tapping on the window, giving me the old <laughs> yank. So, Vic Zass, thanks so much for for joining us, and I tell you to enjoy yourself over the next few weeks. But I know you're gonna. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Vic Zaft, the voice, the eyes, the ears, the soul of Saratoga, and you'll be able to join him every day by going to his column at the Blood Horse. Well, coming up next, we're going all the way out to the West Coast. We're going to talk a little bit about the life and times of Jason Bean, and then we're going to do some uh, handicapping on some big races across the country, Uh, the Coaching Club Oaks, the Eddie Reed, the Virginia Derby, and the Delaware Handicap. You're listening to winningponies.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. 
If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now is... is, uh... A gentleman I, I didn't know seven years ago, and now I count him as a friend. I also can tell you this, that he's one heck of a track announcer. Uh, he, he's also a musician at times. He's a man of many skills. If you're out at Portland Meadows, you get to hear his uh, vocal calls every day. There's live racing. His name is Jason Beam. Jason, how are you? God, I'm doing good. God, it's been seven years since we were back at River. I, I know it was 2006. I, it's hard to believe it's been that long when we've been knowing each other. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And I, I was going through some old photos the other day, and uh, I saw some pictures of you and uh, Vinny Seister sneaking in the races at Keeneland. You know what? You had, it was great. You actually emailed us that picture a long while ago, and, uh, and I, I got it uh, saved on my computer uh, as we speak. Actually, it was, Vinny was uh, was one of my best friends over there. And uh, the River Downs, one of the cool things about that track is there are some really, really uh, fantastic people that work there and have worked there for a long time. It's, it's very much a family atmosphere in terms of the employees there. Well, we we, uh, we have a good time, and Vinny and I have decks about 15 feet from each other. I'm sure he wishes it was 50, but uh, that's the way the office goes. Um, listen, Jason, do, do us a, a favor, all right? People at Portland Meadows know you as the track announcer, but it's always like uh, you don't just kind of walk in the booth and start calling one day. Why don't you tell people about uh, yeah, your passion for the game, how you get in it, and how you landed up in the booth? Well, you know, my dad was a, a gambler. I grew up in Seattle. And uh, in Seattle, as a kid, uh, Long Acres was the racetrack there. And I, you know, I don't know how familiar your listeners are about Long Acres, but it was a you know historic track in suburban Seattle. It was about five minutes from where I grew up, and uh, just a gorgeous, beautiful place. And you know, people to this day up in Seattle, as much as everybody likes Emerald Downs, you know, they still long for Long Acres. It was really a, a magical place. And in fact, Emerald Downs feature race is still called the Long Acres Mile. Uh, but, you know, going there as a kid with my dad, you know, every weekend practically, uh, you know, and he was he was only a gambler and, and, you know, really wasn't too interested in the sport part of it. But I kind of picked up the sport more uh, as a young kid and kind of got some favorite jockeys and favorite trainers. And I wanted to be a jockey when I was a little kid. I would uh, Our neighborhood was actually a perfect oval 
uh, around. And so I would, uh, after the race, I'd go home and I'd get on my bike and I would ride my bike around. I'd be whipping the bike like it was a horse and, uh, doing Gary Henson's calls, you know, and down the stretch they come and here comes Captain Kondo on the outside. And, you know, I had the whole thing going and, uh, you know, just always, uh, loved it as a kid, kind of got away from it for a while because I was still playing baseball and chasing girls in high school. And, uh, I kind of got reconnected with racing, uh, in 2000. My dad got sick uh, and he had skin cancer and, uh, the last year or so of his life, we uh, we spent a lot of time going to the track, and then that was kind of our, uh, you know, kind of our bonding, but also kind of our goodbye time was uh, was spending those afternoons at the track. He uh, he passed away. Actually, next week will be 11 years. It was 2001 in July, and uh, in the last three days he was alive, we were at Emerald Downs, you know, betting the horses and 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 just kind of uh, you know having our bonding time. He passed away, you know, the the day after we had gone to the track for the last time. So. Uh, after he died, I kind of just kept going, and I uh, got a job at River Down or at uh, Emerald Downs uh, as a turf rider, just kind of doing the media stories and you know, kind of looking for scoops on the back stretch. And uh, it was it was a really fun job, and I got to meet a guy there named Robert Geller, who's their announcer at Emerald Downs, and he's been there since Emerald Downs opened, and uh, he was just tremendously. Uh, engaging and you know fascinating guy and, and a, a brilliant announcer. If, if you, your people get to hear him call, he's just amazing how good he is. And uh, you know, I, I had started practicing there when I was working at Emerald Downs. I would just sneak over uh, into the suites if there was nobody in them and practice calling and do a little walkie-talkie deal. And I uh, finally got up the courage to give Robert my tape and say, "Hey, I've been practicing announcing." And, and uh, I sat there while he listened to it and just was petrified that he was going to say, you know, kid, you stink, go away, <laughs> quit bugging me. And, uh, he was actually really super supportive and uh, and just encouraged me to keep practicing. And so when Emerald ended in the uh, in the fall that year, I started going down to Portland Meadows and practicing on the roof there. And uh, in January of well, January of '06, the uh, the guy was uh, Mike O'Brien was the announcer at the time, and he got sick, and so they asked me to fill in because I happened to be down there. And I was practicing for the day and. Uh, made tapes with that and uh, sent them to, uh, it was Great Lakes Downs, Thistle Downs, and River Downs, uh, the three tracks I sent them to. So uh, Somebody had told me that those three places were looking, and uh, Brian DeYoung, who was the announcer at River Downs, was moving on to a different job, and uh, they, uh, he, he and Jack and Essie were were nice enough to give me a chance, and I, I drove over there, I packed up all my stuff, and uh, uh, called there for two and a half years, and uh, you know I actually got hired at Portland halfway through my first year, and they ran off season so for a couple of years there it was you know back and forth six months at a time but uh I, I you know the river downs thing it was such a, a fluke thing for me because i was really trying to get on it you know with some of the local oregon fairs and just get some place to practice and uh the fact that they gave me a chance with such little experience i think uh spoke to you know brian had had a lot of faith in me and, and my abilities and and you know i wanted to work as hard as i could to prove myself there and it was really really a great experience and river i think has done that for a number of guys i mean the guy you guys have now pete Aiello, who came in after i left uh, you know, he didn't have any experience either, and he's blossomed into a, a wonderful announcer. Oh yeah, well, uh, we, we've had quite a few good uh, uh, good graduates. Uh, Kevin Gomer, who was the voice of Chicago Racing, a guy that might have called more races than anybody, Terry Wallace, and of course a man you see on TV all the time, Mike Battaglia. They, along with you, are now alumni of the Riverdowns. Uh, uh, race calling booth. So with all your race calling, that gives you a chance to see, to see a lot of races. So what do you say we get into a little bit of handicapping? Uh, we'll try to knock two races out and then uh, come back and uh, do two two more. Uh, well, let, let's start with a race that's uh, really just a classic. It, it's the Grade 1 Coaching Club American Oaks. It's at a mile and a quarter. Of course, being in Oaks, 
It's for fillies that are three years old, and it's brought together a short field, but very talented in their young careers. Who floated to the top for you? The Pletcher entry looks awful salty. I, I think that uh, yeah, both Pletcher horses look like they could run. I uh, you know the race that the Mother Goose were uh, disposable pleasure and so impressive kind of came out of. Uh, you know, I thought they both ran super that day. I, I think they were actually like the fourth and fifth choices that day. They weren't highly, highly thought of. I know the big favorite kind of set the pace and folded that day. So I kind of question maybe a little bit uh, how great that race was. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, both the Pletcher horses obviously are going to get some attention, but uh, I think that in lingerie coming off a win in the Black Eyed Susan is a horse that could be stepping up. I mean, Todd Pletcher, when it comes to Saratoga, you know, he, he likes to turn up the volume a little bit, and he likes to win the big races. So uh, I, I, I thought that that was a horse. And you had mentioned uh, while we were off the air that this horse has a little bit of a Cincinnati connection. Uh, yeah, Marty Grunder, who called me the other day just to kind of remind me the horse was in, and believe me, I know it because I sent him the press releases. But, uh, yeah, in lingerie, a uh, uh, broker maiden uh, near Cincinnati at Turfway, and they bought it privately. And this group, uh, Clips Thoroughbred Partners, uh, have picked up some very nice horses. Another one that ran third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly Turf last year, who's turned into a nice horse. But in lingerie, uh, you know, he's quietly confident. Let me tell you, Marty's not the kind of guy that, that puffs his chest out. But I think the word from Fletcher, and a so- of course, if you look at the July 15th Saratoga work, best of 21, and you know there's some nice horses working up there, I, I-, I think I think in lingerie is a horse with a lot of upside to her. Yeah, so, I think it's, uh, uh, like I said, go I'm, from, I'm going away from the two out of the Mother Goose, so I thought questing uh, for Kieran McLaughlin was a horse that I uh, just won an optional claimer, so I mean, obviously he's taken a big step up in class, but ran really fast that day and just seems to be hinting at some uh, some real ability. And uh, I always think it's a little tip of the cap when they uh, when they switch from the uh, the uh, Darley red to the Godolphin blue, and they're going to be wearing the Godolphin blue on Saturday, So, which makes me think that they think pretty highly of questing. Well, we will we will find out. I, I know that they wish that Johnny V was up on in lingerie, but uh, Javier Castellano uh, will be the pilot. Let's move on to a race that I don't think you got to do too much handicapping on. Uh, with there only five horses in there, hard to believe a Grade One for three hundred thousand with only five horses in there. But let me tell you, can, can anybody beat Acclamation right now? I mean, this six-year-old horse is just at the top of his game. Uh, he likes Delmar, and he's one at the distance. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, the sad truths of West Coast racing is that there's just not a lot of horse population, uh, and, and it says something when Delmar, which is the premier, premier West Coast meet, uh, you know, is struggling to, to fill races like this. I know, uh, I remember being at River Downs, and I was so excited for opening day at Delmar, and everybody back there was like, what do you mean, it's Saratoga, kid, Saratoga, and I'm like, no, Delmar, come on, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it's acclamation, I think the last time he lost was over a year ago, and uh, six straight wins and four of them grade ones. I mean, and it's not like he's you know just barely eking these out. I mean, he won by a head in the Pacific Classic. That was over a synthetic. But if you look at his five straight turf wins, the margin seven lengths in a grade two, three and a half in a grade one, three and a half in this race last year, uh, and going wire to wire. And it sure doesn't look like there's a ton of gas to go with him. And he can certainly sit if he needs to. And Hogs Hollow has a little bit of speed, but uh, you know hasn't been able to keep up with horses that acclimation would absolutely pound. I don't, I don't see how. Uh, anybody beats acclamation in this spot. No, no, I, I think uh, in the words of our old announcer, the race is for place. It's not often you see a horse to a real off 
five consecutive 100-plus buyer figures, and again, doing it in a manner that uh, he just had control of, of all those races all the way. Uh, Pat Balanzuela, a man who... <laughs> Like a shiny penny, just doesn't go. Keeps coming back. Uh, he retires every year too. Comes back, wins some grade ones, and retires again. Yeah, right, right. He's got that going for him. So uh, definitely, I think uh, Jason and I are definitely uh, in, in agreement there that uh, that's that's the way that you're going to have to go, and you're just going to have to tie him up and uh, pick threes, pick fours, uh, and and trifectas. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, and we come back. Uh, we're going to go in a different direction towards the center of the country. Uh, we're going to go to Colonial Downs for the Great Two Virginia Derby. That's on the turf. And then uh, the Delaware Handicap, win and you're in, and you also get 60% of $750,000. We're talking with Jason Beam here on Winning Pony. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. Oh, and with me, Jason Bean from Portland Meadows. Jason, real quick, if you can, in a minute. Okay, Daily Racing Forum came out with a story last Friday. Emerald Downs duel with Portland Meadows could make for a long, hot summer. What's your read on this? Well, you know, it's funny. The, the guy from the Racing Forum and, and some of the folks at Emerald have really been trying to make this, like we like the move for to summer racing for Portland Meadows was like a challenge to them or, you know, like let's draw swords and duel over this thing. And it wasn't like that at all. It was strictly a business decision about, you know, uh, racing, racing is an outdoor sport and people don't want to come outdoors in Portland in December to watch horse racing. I mean, we found that out over the last number of years. We've done great in simulcast markets because we've run on dead days, but, uh, you know, the ability to, to make a profit has, has ceased to that. So we put a ton of money in remodeling the facility. It looks amazing. And so far we've had, we just started our season. We've had two days. We had the best crowd I've ever seen at the track on opening day. Uh, Art McFadden, who used to own the track, told me, he said he's never seen anything like it. And he's been going there 50 years. So, uh, it's it's not a you know and, and the part that it is going to be a competition for is horses and there's just there's not enough horses up here to support all these meets and 
uh, you know, we're going to try to battle through that. There's only about a two-month overlap, too. It's not like it's the whole season. So it's, there's another three months on our end afterwards. But, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to think it's like this big duel, but really we're just trying to engage the local market and have horse racing when it's supposed to be run in the good weather. All right. Well, listen, let me engage your handicapping talents here. Uh, we started the show with an Oaks, which is three-year-old fillies, and we're going to go now to a Derby. Phillies can run in here, but basically you see three-year-old Colts. They're going to be going the classic distance, a mile and a quarter, only this time it's going to be on the turf. And I've got to admit, just as we talked about acclimation being an amazing standout in the Eddie Reed, i got to give a nod of my cap to Silver Max in here. Yeah, Silver Max is a good horse. I think there's, there's some interesting things that I, I would be, uh, you know, willing to go against him in this race. Uh, you know, he's won a bunch. He's, he's going to be carrying weight. I, the rumor I was told is that the summer front, who is probably the second choice in the race, is going to scratch. And so if that happens, uh, Silver Max now becomes a really big favorite. And so thus, you know, the, uh, the antagonist in me wants to go against him even more. And so, you know, my, my thought was that he's going to be giving away a lot of weight to these horses. He's going to be going a mile and a quarter, which is, you know, an extra distance that he's been going. Uh, and so I thought that maybe there was some way to get around him and, and try to beat him in a spot like this. Uh, you know, he's also, it's, it's, what I think is kind of strange is he seems to switch riders a lot. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if, I mean, Dale Romans obviously is, is a really top conditioner, but uh, it just seems funny to me that a horse with this much talent He's kind of bebop and jockeying like he does, and he picks up Robbie Alvarado, uh, you know, who's obviously been having some some difficulties in life in general. Uh, he's ridden the horse once, and that was a win at Keeneland in the Transylvania. But you know, then you see Bayerano at Churchill, and then you see Bridge Mahan, uh, you know, get on an Arlington. Victor LeBron at Indiana, and now back to Alvarado. So uh, I just find it a little strange they play musical jockeys with the horse, but he, he's as hot as can be. Uh, Cosetti, who we beat last time out, came back and ran really good this last week. So he's going to be salty, uh, you know, that's for sure. But uh, I, I think there's a couple horses that maybe could, could make a run at him. And uh, the one that I kind of like was a horse named uh, Finnegan's Wake. It's actually the other Dale Romans horse. And uh, I thought he was running really, really good at Silverback a couple of starts back. Uh, he got a nice confidence boost last time out. Uh, and I think the extra distance is going to help him maybe uh, a little more. I think, I think he might be a little bit of a price. That'll be very interesting uh, if uh, Donnie Gall uh, Racing could uh, could uh, upset Silver Max. Uh, you know, and you talk about the musical jockeys. I wouldn't be surprised if your phone or my phone calls the ride him next time out. <laughs> but uh, it, it it should be an, an interesting race. Again, this is the time of of the the year where you try to find out who uh, you know who uh, really uh, might be the next good grass three-year-old. Interesting that you heard that rumoring about Summer Front being a, a son of Warfront. I kind of gave him an extra look and, uh, you know, you throw out the Peter Pan, which was on the main track, and uh, that horse looks awful dangerous. So how good is this rumor you heard about Summer Front not being there? Well, I'll tell you what, because I, I think he's, uh, he, if he's in there, he'd be the horse that I played as well. Uh, it was uh, DRF, uh, Dan, Dan Illman, uh, had had, uh, had talked about it, and he had uh, tweeted about it. That he, there was a rumor the horse might be scratching. So, uh, you know, and Clement has another runner in there with with uh, Easy Crossing. So, uh, I didn't see why they said he was scratching, but it was just something that came across on the DRF website. So, well, let's move from there to a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar race. It's only a Grade Two. It's a Delaware Handicap, another mile and a quarter race. Uh, which uh, has to bring out the best of the best, and of course, it's bringing out a champion in here. 
uh, Royal Delta, who uh, did not have the Dubai bounce in the Fleur de Lis. She absolutely stomped on the competition. Though it was a small field and maybe not the best she's faced in her life, but she looked awful good that day, that evening. And uh, Royal Delta's in here, but uh, there's there's also uh, a horse in here by the name of Awesome Maria that's got some running shoes herself. Uh, you see uh, somebody uh, knocking Royal Delta's uh, crown off. Uh, actually, I, I like Awesome Maria. I think she's just a cool, cool horse. Uh, you know, she didn't really fire last time, and Pletcher kind of said that her training was interrupted before that race. I mean, I don't think that was really an excuse. I think she just got beat that day, but uh, she seems to be training a lot better coming into this race. Uh, Royal Delta is an absolute monster, and, and I don't think there's any debate in that. I thought the Florida Lee was uh, probably what she needed to kind of get her confidence back. I mean, that trip to Dubai... The trip alone, you know, has always been taxing for American horses, but, uh, you know, the Dubai bounce, I'm not as big a believer in it as a lot of people are, but, uh, I think it's, it's, I think it's more so with American horses than it is with the foreign horses, but, uh, you know, Royal Delta, she ran so huge that day. You know, Austin Maria did put it to her pretty good at Gulfstream this, uh, this past winter, but, uh, you know, all the connections of Royal Delta have said, oh, she wasn't cranked up for that, and, you know, she wasn't ready for that and stuff. But uh, I, I think Austin Maria is, is uh, the horse that I would go with in here. But uh, I, I do think, you know, it, it's a grade two race, and I think it's a two-horse race because I think those two uh, are far ahead of, you know, Pash Attack, who I think is kind of the, the third choice in this spot. Yeah, I, and again, I was going to point out the fact that uh, Austin Maria did uh, beat Royal Delta before, but I watched that race, and quite frankly, uh, you, you hate to say trainers in a, Graded race would give him one, but uh, it looked like the, that horse was just getting ready for its trip to Dubai. We'll we'll find yeah. out. But there's some really you know some good, great uh, great talent uh, in in the Delaware Park handicap. Hey, for that matter, there is in the Colonial Downs Virginia Derby, the Eddie Reed, and of course the Coaching Club America Oaks is going to make some for some uh, good horse race watching uh, this week. Uh, how, how does uh, the, the the impact of Delmar Delmar affect you guys? Just to help your simulcast pool a little bit more? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, because people will come out specifically for Delmar. Uh, you know, on like Friday nights tomorrow, when they start a little later at four uh, our time, and so they'll. You know, they'll only be about halfway through their card once we get started. And so, you know, stuff like that definitely, uh, it does help us. And we, and we obviously will stay away from them and, uh, Emerald Downs as well in terms of, you know, wanting to stagger our post times. I mean, you know, those are on the West Coast here. It's so funny how provincial people are because, you know, you, if you go back east, people are playing New York and they're playing Kentucky and Florida. And, uh, you come out here and Southern Cal and Northern Cal are, in terms of simulcasting, are, you know, 70 or 80% of our business. People, you know, people don't care about Arlington. They don't care about, uh, you know, the Florida tracks as much except for on big days over here. So uh, the right. West Coast is very uh, provincial to our, uh, our horse racing, for sure. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been uh, handicapping and listening to Jason Bean. Jason, thanks so much for being on winningponies.com. Remember, you can listen to it on podcasts, so call your uncles and aunts that missed the program. appreciate you being on, Jason. Thanks, John. It was good to talk to you, man. All right, take care. Well, that's it. Uh, Big Zass, Jason Beam, our guest this evening. We hope that you will tune in every week, and if not, get us on podcast. Uh, from beautiful Manoa, New York, this is John Engelhardt. Remember, get with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhardt. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.